Andy, uh, great to have you here, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Let us get started. Would be great for you to give a, a one minute overview on what you built with uh, Finbox and, and what you guys do. Sure. So Finbox is a financial data platform. The whole goal is to help investors understand the stories of the various publicly traded companies. As as a simple example, you can type in Apple, you can get a bunch of financial history, how it's grown, and also some of our proprietary insights about the financial health of the business, things like that. About two years ago, we were acquired by investing.com. And we basically been part of this larger team and growing the business under there. So happy to answer any questions. When did you start Finbox? We started Finbox about six years ago, seven years ago. Uh, it It was actually at the time, leveragereturns.com. It was this little blog that we would just write about publicly traded companies about because we were just finance nerds. And that sort of evolved into what became Finbox.io and then a a third version, Finbox.com, once we were a little bit farther along in our journey. And um, yeah, what what was the kind of the origin story? So you have a background in investment banking, right? So as you say, kind of finance nerd, you know, stock market nerd and started writing and that kind of morphed into the company. But yeah, curious on how you kind of, you know, came to the realization that this product needed to exist in the world. And yeah, for sure, for sure. So my my co-founder and I, Matt, we were investment bankers together. And once we left, we, yep, same firm. He was at the cubicle kind of right behind me. And we would talk about investing in different public traded stocks. And we, we had all this knowledge of how to value them from, from working in banking. And once we quit, we didn't have access to those tools anymore. And so we would start building our own models from kind of scratch and sharing them with each other. And we started did Google Drive. Did you quit? You quit to do what? I, I quit to just move to San Francisco. Okay. To, you knew you wanted to get into tech? I knew I wanted to get into tech, had no idea what. Were you covering tech sectors within no. investment banking? Okay. I was, I was a generalist. So I did cover some tech stocks and or some tech companies and things like that. But for the most part, it was, I would, I would listen to these podcasts, uh, on, uh, at, at the time it was Kevin Rose had this podcast and mm. I'd listen to them at my cubicle. And I'd be like, oh, I just feel like I need to be in San Francisco. Like, it you were like in New York, were you? Or? I was in Chicago. Got it. Okay. And I, I was like, I just need to be there and I'll figure it out after. So you quit. You didn't have a job lined up. You're just like, I'm going to move to San Francisco. Yeah, exactly. So with investment That's banking, awesome. it's it's a, it's a yearly cycle and, and you get paid a, a, a bonus. Oh, so you waited for and... the bonus to come in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, t- I took the I took the, the spoils. And, and was Matt in um, the same boat? Yep, yep, yep. Really? He, so he both up... of you were like, well, we don't have anything, <laughs> we don't have anything to do. We're just going to move to San Francisco because we want to be in that place. That, that sounds yeah. like like a life choice that you would expect a startup founder to make very <laughs> very risk on as they say yeah so we i had i had two friends really brilliant startup software engineers there already so i, I wanted to be just around them and so we all got a house together in, in san francisco and just started working on on different startup ideas like we, di- we didn't exactly know which industry or anything like that and one of those ideas ended up being uh, this Google Drive that we'd been kind of sharing around between us and said, okay, this is interesting. I think maybe people, if, if, we, if we wrote about these companies with interactive widgets and they could maybe say play with the growth rates and see how that impacts the value. I hadn't seen anything really like that on the internet. And so if we just built something small like that and put it in our blogs, maybe people would be interested. And that was really the the origin. And what ended up happening is other bloggers on platform on the, on the platforms we were posting to saw those widgets and they were like, hey, can I have one of these for my own? And then it sort of started snowballing from there. So talk, talk us through kind of the iteration on the product as you you figured out like who who is our you know target 
customer that we're going after? Like what kind of product features are they looking for? For, for sure. So taking one, taking a step back. So we built these little, you know, we had these little projects that we were just hacking on. And one of the lessons we learned there is the first thing you should do is not just go to the code editor and start pounding out JavaScript files. Mm-hmm. It was maybe to talk to the people that you're building for. Mm-hmm. And so I read this, I, my, my cousin actually had recommended this book to me called the Startup Owner's Manual. Mm-hmm. And after those few project, you know, crashes, I guess, I, I read that book and quite literally followed everything to the letter, you know, just step <laughs> yeah. by step. Yeah. Uh, and, and, the scientific and, method for uh, starting yeah. a startup. Yeah, Ex- exactly, exactly. Uh, I would say out of out of that process, like probably the one that comes to mind the most, you know, since we're talking about tactical sort of strategies here is uh, we, we had this uh, embed, people would click and then all we had is a sign up form. And people would sign up for this product that didn't really exist, but we had kind of a vague description of what it could be. And so I would get on calls. I would just ask these people, hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time? I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just want Mm. to ask you why you signed up and how I may be able to help you. Mm. And then I would get on these calls with them. And I had just three columns. And my three columns were, what's the problem? What, how they solve it today? And what my proposed solution is? Mm. And what's interesting with these conversations is, you know, the first, the second are kind of all over the place, to be honest. Like you, you have an idea of maybe what the problem was, but you're not very good at articulating it. They're not very good at explaining it. You're not very good at asking them how to explain it uh, and, and sort of digging in. But by the 50th, you've actually gotten really, really good understanding and you can almost predict the next word that's going to come out of the, the, the customer's mouth. And so that that's what was the difference between Finbox and everything else we had built today is going into day one, we knew like, okay, we have this, this map of the problems and our proposed solutions that are validated with customers. And we basically built to that spec. How many, do you remember like how many of those customer discovery calls you did roughly? I have a Google, I have a Google drive of, of at least some of the ones that were most useful and maybe 30, 40 at least. Um, and but, it's like, yeah. that's, that seems maybe like a high number, right? But if it's like 30 or 40 at like 50 minutes a pop, it's like 10 hours. Okay. You do it in a day. It's like, you know, you can, you can have a lot of like those kind of interview interactions with like your exact target customer in a very short amount of time. Yeah. I would say, I would say it's, it's probably better to do them maybe over two, three weeks, just so you have time yourself to so d- digest. Yeah. yeah and and, and maybe do some research, come back with some more creative solutions. And so you don't want to waste people's time uh, as well, right? So if you end up proposing something that they really like, then they'll follow up and they'll ask you, hey, is this ready yet? And, that, and they're excited to kind of try it. So, And who who was your kind of initial, you know, customer segment, ideal customer profile, as they say? Sure. So initially we thought it would just be this, these broad retail investors that are investing. And one of the, another tactical things I would say that and we this did. this was pre, no, this was like around the time of like Robin had taken off or before that? It was right around there. Yeah, it was right, right around there. Yep, yep. And so, so you were kind of being floated by a this market kind of pull <laughs> upwards. For for sure. And and, and the, the that the, that crescendoed maybe just three years ago or so. Mm. Um so it, it was a slow build, but we can get into that later. With, with GameStop. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you guessed it. You guessed it. <laughs> yeah. But I would say in the in, in the beginning, it was really we thought we would build for this large audience of, of retail investors. And so then but when I was when I started doing the research we talked to people that had built similar products before on the internet. So there was a company called Value Cruncher and I saw that it had basically been abandoned. And so I got, I found the founder of that company on LinkedIn and I messaged him and I said, Hey, I'm thinking of exploring something in this, in the same space. Would you mind just getting on a call with me for 10 minutes and tell me, 
your experience with building that brand. And through that, that, that was one of the most insightful conversations. How long did that conversation end up uh, taking? You said 10 minutes. How long did it end up taking? Yeah, I mean, you know, they always, they always end up taking maybe 20, 30 minutes. But I think he was just so generous with his time to, to explain to us like, hey, what you actually need to do instead of building for the biggest possible market is to build for someone that will pay you <laughs> and then grow in concentric circles around that. So and was that, that, was, that a was mistake? One... Would, would he have said that's a mistake that he made? It sounds like value yep, didn't yep. work out like because he tried to build exactly. for everyone, but they weren't willing to pay for it. Yeah. So, so if you build for something that's so general, it becomes diluted for the people that find it that are the most interested in something. And PG, Paul Graham, uh, the, the YC founder, they'll say this all the time, you know, build for, build for yeah. 10 people that love you instead of 1,000 be- people. Better to have 100 like people you. that love you than whatever, 10,000 that kind of, yeah, man. Yeah. That's that's exactly right, and so and so there's you know these these insights have become more and more commonplace then, but we were just figuring this out, and so we said okay, let's let's build the largest repository of financial models on the internet. Like that is so specific, but it'll at least give us these small core users that love what we do, and then we can build around them. And that, that that was really how we we started with Finbox and it took it took a number of years to, to scale but um, yeah that was that was the seed were there moments like inflection points from a kind of product market fit perspective where you know you kind of had a realization that I mean it sounds like that's one obviously like designed for that kind of very specific um, mm-hmm. customer um, but were there others where like okay we we kind of heard this feedback or we figured this inside out we made this kind of you know uh, product feature and then we saw a real inflection point in the growth trajectory or was it more sure I, I, I would say like and volatile and incremental the story of any company i think is a series of inflection points and it never stops as long as you you keep going and so you're always looking for for the next thing that's going to make you mm. expand your your product market fit but a couple that come to mind is so there was a period so i would say initially when we launched we had prob product like problem solution fit and maybe product solution fit, but we didn't necessarily have market fit. We didn't quite understand how the market wanted to purchase our product. Was it high touch sales or kind of broad, broad marketing? There's, there's a lot of those questions that also need to get figured out after you've built something valuable. So that, that took some, some, some time. I would say in the middle of that journey, you know, where we had, we had, we were profitable. We had growth but it wasn't skyrocketing growth and so we were questioning ourselves like do we want to keep going like what's the next step and what was really helpful was to actually just take some time away from the business as we just kind of stepped back for for a minute and said okay if we were to start fresh like what are the things that are the real decision drivers for our customers and so me and my co-founder we we sat down and sort of listed seven things that we we said okay if we can do these seven things right we'll have customers that really love our product and those are things like you know data accuracy data latency these things that we've discovered from being in the market for some time and then every week every month we were just tracking to those goals and we we're saying okay are, are we getting better at, at you know this feature how does this improve data latency or how does this how is this a unique insight that customers would pay for and so once we really got that framework and build started building around that we basically spent a year spent a year completely re-engineering the product partnering with some data providers that were much more higher quality and then once we relaunched it was almost like okay night and day difference in 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 the way that our growth curve looks that's really interesting i think it's a great advert for the importance of being strategic right and kind of very laser focused I mean, six is not one, but it's still a, it's very, very clear, like what you were kind of building towards. And do you remember what the six um, principles are? Uh, so, so the, yeah, there are seven. So I would say 
we're a data, ultimately we're a data product. So a lot of them were, okay, we have to be really good at data accuracy. We have to basically have the data be correct. Mm-hmm. It needs to not be delayed to so very low latency. latency. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I would say like the two, the other two kind of unique ones were like cost was important, but it wasn't the most important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, was there a hierarchy realized, as well of the, within the seven? Yeah, for sure. Cost so is like, like near the bottom. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we said, why is cost part of the decision? It's, because they're not getting enough value from the product. And so if we can do these other mm-hmm. six things, mm-hmm. then then we, we have a chance at making something really valuable. So uh, yeah, I, I would say um, Unique Insights was also towards the top of the list. So it wasn't just enough for us to provide these like raw feeds in a really uh, malleable way. It was also to then digest some of that data for our users, especially as we had grown our, from the core audience of really sophisticated investors to say more general retail investors uh, to digest some of that data and, and surface the insights from it. When you said you stepped away from the business and kind of came, came back almost and like figured out, okay, these are the seven principles, this, mm-hmm. everything we ship and everything we're focused on needs to be improving in these dimensions. What, what did it mean to step back? Yeah. So I, I, one of my friends really needed help running his business actually. So he, he had raised a pretty substantial amount of capital and he needed some, some management leadership to basically help him scale that. And we were, we were uh, insane enough to say, okay, we, we should be able to help. Uh, <laughs> and, and we were, we were growing, et cetera. But like I said, we were, we kind of had stagnant growth. Um, me and Brian, we... Brian didn't okay. know. Yeah. So right. he's my co-founder. Um, that, that was kind of there through the end. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, so we, we both ended up working on both businesses at the same time. So we were, you know, it wasn't like Finbox shut down or something like we were all, we were profitable, we were growing, et cetera, but it wasn't uh, skyrocketing growth. And like why, why was that? Was that like you kind of, you needed like to pay your personal bills or like you kind of, you need, like you almost kind of needed more like stimulation and fulfillment. Cause like, you know, the Finbox growth, as you mentioned, was kind of linear at that stage or yeah. What? kind of why why take that on that additional role yeah i I think some of it comes down to we needed we needed a new we felt like we needed a new perspective on on what we're doing right and Mm, wrong interesting and yeah the 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 entrepreneur that we like you know he's one of my best friends since i was i was 10 years old and he really needed help that was the other thing and the this the and i knew that he was good at certain things that i wasn't Mm. very good at interesting and so having the opportunity to work closely that's really cool and so it was like and, an externship, yeah. In, in a way, yeah, it was, it was a mutually beneficial. You were there for a couple of years? This is current, right? Yeah, yeah. So this was, this was a year. It was, it was this crazy time where, you know, there was, there was some capital raise and there were maybe five people that we scaled to 35 in a matter of eight months. And there was, there was just a ton ton going on there. But one of the biggest takeaways I had from that is like we don't didn't need to solve every problem ourselves. So Brian and I, you know, we love solving problems. We, we'll never back down from a challenge, that kind of thing. But there's a limit to where that's no longer helpful. It's great for getting you off the ground and you're willing to solve every problem. But at a certain point, there's just people that can do things better than you. And so when we went back to the business, we took a lot of the cash flows, hired people. Uh, we, Manuel, your coworker, ended up being one of those people and, and you know, having his perspectives on how we should grow and all that stuff is really where, where things came together. This is a great kind of juncture to talk about, I guess, the, the trajectory and, and the capital path 
um, of Finbox. Um, love, love that you guys were bootstrapped all the way through from inception to acquisition. I feel like, you know, venture capital is kind of so fetishized. You're probably like the first to kind of violently nod your head in agreement at that. I also want to ask about the YC Fellowship Grant. That's, that's the first I heard of that. So curious to <laughs> learn more about that. I don't know really what the specific question is, but just like the comparisons between that, you know, bootstrap path for Finbox and the, you know, kind of venture backed path of current like scaling from eight to 35 in eight months that's like insane so yeah what are what are the kind of the pros and cons or the lessons learned from having seen seen both sides so for for, for me personally i love uh, the idea of just building it brick by brick and, and having some room and flexibility to do that so in terms of bootstrapping versus venture i think, I think they both have their pros and cons i would say for first-time founders maybe, maybe it's a bit controversial but you should really try to avoid raising venture if you can uh, there's so many alternative ways of financing yourself if you're willing to be creative and so just as an example uh, you mentioned yc the, the fellowship so i one of my friends sent me a link from hacker news that said hey why combinator is doing this fellowship thing where they're going to give out a grant to companies that are interested so it was as really as simple as okay this sounds interesting and there's no they don't want any equity or anything yeah, in return like, for this where's, where's the catch yeah yeah i was like scrolled all around like, yeah, ah, i guess yeah. there's no catch i mean why can't yeah. a uh, incredible brand reputable reputable organization <laughs> yeah it's probably not gonna be some gotcha clause exactly right and so so that's what we did so we, we just applied and a week later like hey we'd like you to come and interview and learn more about what you guys are doing in your apartment in san francisco you know just hacking away um and so yeah we came in we said hey you know this is this is like we've been doing all this customer validation we've done like 50 different interviews with customers and this is what they said and now we're starting to build this I'm like okay great uh and then we were accepted into that program. And so we got a little bit of seed money there just to keep ourselves afloat. And then we took, we, we, we at that point, by the end of the fellowship, were able to release a product and be out on the market with... And was, was it, so there was a fellowship that was like kind of, I don't know what the right word is, like kind of peer or like coaching and like mentorship. Yeah, it's, it was, it's, it's basically, it's very similar to the YC program. It's, it's effectively, mm. it was effectively the same thing. Um, it was just a bit shorter. And at the end, we weren't presenting. Grant, grant not equity. <laughs> no demo yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, we uh, had a demo day, but it was just for alumni and it, it wasn't for, for the full set of like. But were you pitching a demo day? No. I mean, yeah. 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 So, but they, you weren't raising prep- though. Some some people were raising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We decided that that it wasn't really like the path that we were particularly interested in in, in pursuing. Is, is so, YC still doing the the fellowship? No, no. So temporary thing. Yeah, I think they did it once after, once more after the time that we did it, and then they eventually spun that off into startup school. So I think they were just trying to get back to some understanding of what the problems people face at like a really, really early stage, mm. uh, especially really young founders, and then mm. they were able to model that into something that's more scalable with startup school. Got it. So you were talking about kind of the the pros and cons of venture. Your your advice for first time founders would be think very, very, very carefully about yeah taking take, um, venture capital. I mean, why why would you say that? For for sure. So I, I would say one of the biggest reasons why I personally prefer like these alternative forms. So as, as an example, 
even crowdfunding or whatever it might be, if you, you're kind of freeing two birds with one key there, right? Because you're able to validate your product with a market and then using that that market to actually fund your operations. And that, that was, was awesome about building Finbox as well, where it's, is it with a SaaS model, you can, you can, your, years will, your users will pay you a year in advance and you can use those cash flows to then build a better product by the time that the renewal is coming due. And then they're like, wow, this, you know, I, I signed up for X, Y, and Z and now I have A, B, and C as well. And of course I'll renew. So you can, you can get creative with the way that you're financing. And for us, you know, our customers basically financed us the whole way through and, and um, helped us really build something that we're proud of. And yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned mentioned probably four because you started with the uh the bonus from uh the investment bank (laughs) so personal savings and then you got the the yc uh grant and obviously there's other there's other kind of grant funding out there probably relatively small sums but still something Mm -hmm. yeah yeah obviously really any way that you can find money right so there's there's loans revenue is obviously the best and then yeah uh and then yeah crowdfunding as well yeah and then i think in the in the middle of our journey we also took some revenue financing so revenue-based financing basically revenue-based financing to kind of help hire people and so there's all there's all types of approaches if you if you look and you're willing to be a little bit more creative with how you you remember where you got the the revenue-based financing from like a pipe or something it was stripe and paypal so those are from like receipts and yeah yeah so they were it was it was a really easy check for them to right because yeah, they had this like three-year history of like okay yeah. consistent up and to the right cash flows and you know so and they, they if you're growing quickly then there's the interest rates end up being quite high but they still mm-hmm. pale in comparison to giving out equity in your company so I, you, I still prefer um, it probably looking back and maybe it's difficult to cast your mind back and and you know put yourself in the shoes of andy in 2018 or whenever it was that you were kind of making these decisions on like which capital path was the right one for you guys to take with finbox but like yeah do you, i mean do, do you remember like were you were you guys like having debates and discussions like you know we're going through this yc fellowship like a lot of the other people in the batch are like you know pitching at them and trying to raise money like shouldn't we do this isn't this like the done thing we're like a you know a fintech startup in san francisco like what 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 are we thinking not raising from vcs you know i guess it was a little pre-2021 but like what what were the kind of um you know why did you come to the conclusions that you did on the the capital strategy and was it a hard decision this this is where picking your founders and the people that you work with have being really aligned on how you see this the state of the world is, is so important i think so of course we, we pursued venture financing, but it felt like every time it was time to say sign on the dotted line, we never felt comfortable doing it. Mm. We felt like, hey, we're so close to being able to bootstrap this. Like all of our favorite companies, Grammarly, Ball yeah. Tricks, like they had all been bootstrapped. And we're like, oh, there's such a, it feels so much more free to be able to build mm. on your own terms and, and build it the, the way that you, you want. Uh, and so, uh, especially as a first time founder, where we didn't necessarily have the credibility to say, okay, hey, listen, I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. Um, you would think though that then the-, the, the value, the value that VCs kind of claim to add. There's this really funny turn in Novak meme that I saw on Twitter where it's like this, there's the cars driving under the bridge, and this guy on the bridge is like flicking them with his finger, and the, and his quote was like, you know, this is VCs like adding value for their portfolio companies. So mm-hmm. you know, probably probably a lot of founders might say the value that VCs claim to add might not actually be in line with the value they do. But I would have thought that, you know, for a first time founder, like a VC taking a board seat, that would be much more valuable because the second time, the third time as a founder, you, you like you don't need as much help because you've 
kind of trodden the path before you know did you get were there times when you were like oh man it would be nice to have it would be nice to have a board of experienced vcs that have you know seen this journey dozens of times before and can uh, you know give us the, the perfect advice or uh, of course so so bootstrapping is not some panacea or you know you know all your yeah. or your ills are cured and, and things like that there's pros and cons to, to each path yeah yeah exactly so it, it really depends on a, a choice of like which outcomes are you comfortable with so do you do, do you are you are you building to a billion dollar multi-billion dollar outcome or are you okay with making something that people really love that maybe doesn't reach that that scale and so these are all questions that that i think as, as a founding team you need to be really comfortable with so that your strategy isn't convoluted with things that don't align with your what your ultimate goals are that's 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 part of where i mentioned you know making the making sure the founding team is really aligned on on the on the yeah. financing strategy is important did you kind of think through that very deliberately up front or did you just kind of luck out that you guys were uh in alignment on, on those kind of pretty existential questions. Sure, I, I would say we were we were fairly aligned. Like we obviously pursued all these meetings. Like we, I think we interviewed with TechStars and we, a few other incubators. And then even after, there were always opportunities to raise capital. There may be claims that these these, these you know prolific investors are going to come and solve all your problems, and that's really not the case. For the most part, people want to trust the entrepreneur has a vision. Mm-hmm. and knows where he wants to go and they may be helpful with introductions and things like that but at the end of the day it's your company and it's your company to run so it's it's it's, it's you know no no investor is going to come from heaven and kind of save your your startup and i I would say out of all, all of the ones that I ended up either talking to or interviewing, like YC is definitely, there's a reason why they're so successful. A lot of them have built multi-billion dollar businesses themselves. And so they have a lot more context on kind of the emotional and mm-hmm. journey that any entrepreneur is you know, going through. So uh, it wasn't like there's no good VCs or something like that. You just kind of have to um, know what strategy you want to pursue with, your, with uh, in terms of raising capital. But it's also like you don't need a VC to take a board seat and 20% of equity in order to you know get good advice from people that have trodden the path before right like you went through yc fellowship like you got advice from a bunch of yc founders and partners like and didn't give up any equity so it's not like you you need that vc investment in order to to get um good advice as well yeah some of the some of the busiest people and are, are so generous with their time and happy to help so if you just ask and you have good focused questions on hey this is the problem any advice that i'm sure they'll it might, might be two three sentences but they'll they'll, they'll be sure to Help you. And the, the value cruncher example is, you know, yep. one like a founder that just have to you know, ask. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good that's a good secret. Ask ask for <laughs> advice and and be very, very careful about uh, <laughs> what you listen to. So th- this is kind of we've talked about the the uh, kind of bootstrapping approach. What about on the um yeah, wh- what did you learn from from current seeing the other the other kind of you know rocket fueled um approach, eight to thirty-five people in, in eight months. Like uh, we were we were chatting before we got on, like some of the some of the lessons uh learned from kind of that that experience. It goes back to a bit of what I said earlier with not having to solve every problem yourself. So having that resource to say, okay, let's just go find the best HR person and they can help us with set, set up the recruiting pipeline and, and uh, draft all the job postings, or let's go find the best growth person and they can help us find the best acquisition channels and iterate on different AB tests and, and all that stuff. So instead of having to do every single part of this yourself, at least at some point in your journey, you can tap that resource. And honestly, the second time around, I don't think 
raising capital is necessarily the best move uh, or like not raising capital is necessarily the best move. I, I would probably look for, for financing. Um, but just as a first time founder specifically, having as few distractions as possible between you and your customer and your product, it's just so valuable in my opinion that, that I, I try to minimize almost all other distractions other than that. Any, any uh, lessons you learned, mistakes you made, um, secrets you want to share on the hiring side? I mean, it sounds like you hired a lot of people pretty quickly. What, what did you get right? What did you not get right? Yeah, well, one of the things I've noticed in general with startups is that a lot of the culture, uh, startups end up being carved in the image of the founders. And mm -hmm. so a lot of those strengths and weaknesses that maybe the founder has ultimately also get reflected in the culture and the, and the, and the company as a whole. You can see this even at the largest scales, whether it's Apple or Microsoft, you know, where yeah. Microsoft Bezos, had the... Bezos was, you could, <laughs> like, it was very, Amazon was carved <laughs> in the image of Jeff Bezos, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the fun things about starting a startup. Like, you get to work with people that you enjoy working with and not necessarily uh, ones that were hired to be your cohorts, right? So it's 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 part of the, it's part of the, uh, the fun of starting a startup. But where I think it's really important to be super introspective and really think about what you're good at and what you're not so good at and then over index when you're hiring on maybe properties that you don't you wish to improve within yourself um, right and so uh, i'm not particularly organized for example and so i, I really would look for people that uh, have those qualities or i'm more of a hacker than okay let's think about the perfect abstraction for this programming code yeah Right. Yeah. And so having people um, that are really, really code jockeys and just love writing code, like, for example, yeah. that that's a good compliment to that property. Um, I would say the second thing, and this is pretty common in technical interviews for software positions, is having a technical interview where you're actually working through a problem together. But I've actually... I really prefer using this approach for all positions. So even for something like accounting or support, if you're hiring for those positions, I really like working through a problem together. So what, mm. so you, I think when we interviewed our, our, yeah, our accountant, cool. uh, we we said, uh, I, I gave him like kind of like a test exercise and uh, we worked through it together. And the point is not so much to see if they can get everything right, but you get a sense for how do they take feedback? Mm. Do you like their jokes? Like it's just, it's just the, is it fun to work with them? And if it's a good fit, then it becomes much more obvious, I think in technical interviews than say um, inter interview questions that you can say prepare for from some list on the internet. Yeah, I love that. I, I always think interviews are like, it's so annoying to me that it's like, you know, a, a very, very short amount of time, right? Like yep. even if you do all day, kind of in the office, like on site, maybe you do that even a couple of times, but you'll make a decision in like a couple of days that then may last for years. And so you can fire people if it doesn't work out. But like, you know, references is tough because you got to try to figure out the blind references um, versus the, the hand-picked ones that are obviously going to say glowing things. Man, like how can you... It's like you, if it's a salesperson, right? You kind of want to just go and see like, okay, give me your like results from the last two years that you were doing that job. <laughs> and that is like so much of a better way to assess someone than like whether you can, you know, sell me in a, you know, how long interview or that. But I don't know what the solution yeah, is. No sure. one seems to have figured that out. Certainly we have. Yeah, and, and it, there's just all these problems properties too where they aren't necessarily indicative of how they are as an employee so like someone could be just really quick-witted or, or really good on their feet yes. and so they end up doing better than and vice others versa. In, yeah. in interview settings someone yeah, might exactly. not be great in an interview 
but like that's a yeah. really really bad thing to be optimizing for in the hiring process yeah yeah for sure like if you're a really deep thinker and you really want to like think through everything you know in an interview setting you may think oh this person like doesn't know what they're doing when really you know they're they're just actually really deeply thinking about the problem and they'll probably come up with a solution that's 10 times better than than someone that just uh knows it from from uh past experience shifting gears a little would love to talk about the the acquisition process for Finbox. Um, we had Andrew Kazdecki, who's the the founder of um, Acquire.com, come in, and he he gave some great kind of tips on how to you know position your startup for acquisition. But yeah, I would love for you to talk through that process. Like when when did those conversations begin? Were you kind of looking to get acquired and like you know putting it out there, or is it kind of more serendipitous? And yeah, how 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 did that kind of deal get done? So there were different phases, I would say, in the journey of, of Finbox where the, the, obviously we covered a bit of the early stage and then there was a middle period where there was a bit of stagnation, mm-hmm. et cetera. But this, and, and there were acquisition offers all along those all along the way so there we were just strategically i think pretty interesting to a lot of different mm-hmm. players in our space and when then you say all could, along the way is this like one per year or like what, what's the kind of cadence oh, no, of some, inbound acquisition offers here yeah so sometimes they were just okay we we would meet someone at starbucks and they're like hey you know i impressed with what you've built so far with such few people like it's just three of mm-hmm. you and you've built mm-hmm. all this like would you be interested in joining you know and so there's there's all these different forms of those um and we never considered them seriously. Um, I mean, <laughs> let me let me let me backtrack a bit. So there are definitely days when you're just like, you know, <laughs> this is really hard, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, like things are not exactly. moving in the and right like, direction, I... and like getting a million, <laughs> multi-million dollar payout looks quite appealing right now. Yeah, yeah. So so there's obviously days, but push comes to shove, and you're like, there's just so much more that we want mm-hmm. to do with this. And, and there's, there's not, there's no way I can, I can let go of this yet. Right. And so this, this was after we had relaunched as finbox.com and we were growing really quickly. Manuel was on the team who's helping us grow our SEO and like everything was kind of kicking on all cylinders. The market was just out of control with, if you remember the days of, of uh, Wall Street bets and everyone was just interested in finance. And so it was, we were just very, very overwhelmed. Like there were people screaming at me at, on, on Twitter about like how something's broken or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so, and around that same time, uh, the CEO of investing uh, was, was interested in making a bet on subscriptions for the company. And so we had a conversation and it just made a lot of sense for where they were as a company, uh, what they were trying to accomplish. And then where we were um, at being able to say, tap into their support team that they're already built out was like, say a problem that I didn't need to solve from the ground up anymore, right? If I could hook into that infrastructure, uh, they had the scale 100x more distribution than we did. And so they, they'd solved a lot of those those problems that we were on our path to solving. So strategically just made a ton of sense for us to make this work. Now, the actual acquisition process is like its own other beast, right? It's it's, it's quite emotional in, in many ways. Say, uh, say more about like that. Half- Wait, um, yeah, what? Uh, that wouldn't be the first word that I would use. It's it's kind of uh, interesting to hear you kind of use that word, but what in what ways was it amazing? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if you think about it, right? So at this point, I'd probably I'd spent what the last six years thinking about almost nothing other than this company. Uh, there was all this, op- like if I, I could close my eyes and imagine all of the paths that we still hadn't mm-hmm. gone down, we didn't even have a mobile app yet. And like we, you know, there's, there's a ton, we had all these asset classes we wanted to add. We had this like really glorious uh, product roadmap that we hadn't pursued yet. There's so many things we wanted to do uh, for for our customers. And so 
that was part of it. Like, are we making the right decision here? Uh, so I feel like half the days. Got you know, it. Got it. Like, so it's like we will. Yeah. This future glorious product roadmap will be taken out of our hands and a lot of it will not be built and uh yeah that's interesting yeah and one thing that andrew said andrew gazdecki it was like you know you're like taking the company in this direction and then people come in and they're going to have different ideas and a lot of those ideas are going to be better and they're going to be like you know no like why are you doing that like that way and it's like they're kind of insulting your your beautiful baby and telling you all the ways you're doing it wrong and that's that's almost like I don't know if that was a, a thing for you as well, but uh, no, I mean I, I I feel like we have we're both pretty like meritocratic. Mm-hmm. I would say like if, if there's a better idea, I don't really care if it came from mm-hmm. me or not. Like if it's a better idea, it's a better mm-hmm. idea. Uh, so that wasn't as much of a concern. It's just you're you're basically partnering uh, with with people that maybe you don't necessarily even know all that well, mm-hmm. and you know how how's how's that all that going to mm-hmm. work out? And then also the actual acquisition process i don't know if you've ever experienced it but there's like so many lawyers and accountants and like indemnifications and like all these things that you're like i just want to build stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't really care about all this you know and like especially like my 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 user growth is like you know uh growing like i just want to focus on, yeah, on those yeah, things yeah. and you can't let those and, the, and the, one of the things is like you can't let those things slip right. either yeah. right because then that's another renegotiation yeah, or whatever yeah. Right, and so you're you're trying to keep this up, uh, but at the end of the day, it just it I think strategically it made a ton of sense. So we both had the will to just get it done. How long did it did it take the process? Yeah, I would say end to end from first call to maybe nine okay. months. And were there so? times yeah. during that where you're like, oh, like please, just like how much more of this? Of course, yeah. Because one of the things too is is if did you, you have that if, expectation if there, going in, like did that it would take that long, or so <laughs> I think so. Whenever you do one of these things, like there's a there's something called like the indication of interest so that's like a preliminary thing and then you you usually the, the the acquirer will usually negotiate something like an exclusivity period i think the first one was like 60 days again mm-hmm. i knew that it wouldn't I, I, just as an investment like having done this making for so long i knew it wasn't going to be and so we didn't we didn't really expect it to take 60 days and if someone says otherwise like it's, it's just it's really just not possible uh, there's holidays and then there's right. random things that just come up like it, it ends up being um, just a lot of different interests to align all at once. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I would say, you know, you can be patient, but that's where I think having that real conviction about why this is a great idea is so important for both sides. There's so many reasons to not do the deal that get uncovered during the process. And as the acquirer, it can really be distracting to your team, uh, the morale, the ups and downs. And so for the most part, we didn't really like share it with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I almost... My as a company message. getting acquired yeah as as the company getting acquired yeah yeah so my approach was like until the money is in our bank accounts let's assume that we're operating a status quo and we're just trying to grow as fast as possible and then this That's, is like this that was probably random very very wise and yeah kind of <laughs> positive yeah. for the, the the kind of like equanimity of uh, yourself and certainly the team as well yeah yeah exactly and so it was like hey if it happens it happens it's fine but like look we have this incredible roadmap and we're gonna yeah. pursue it and we have money that's willing to invest um and so we're totally fine either way um but listen having access to 100x users overnight and really maximizing our impact like this is code that we wrote in a basement in san francisco yeah. now it's going to be available to hundreds of Pretty millions cool. of users like that's so cool right um so those are the reasons where it was just like i oh, I don't know if I can pass this up. And then they're also the number one, number two player in, in our space. So it doesn't really get much better in terms of like that. who you yeah. can be acquired by. So um, I think the combination of those two just kind of gave us the reason. 
give us a good any other um, do it. any other kind of secrets to share with founders on like you know how to how to get acquired and ensure that process goes as smoothly as possible yeah so i believe justin khan had had a quote or, or maybe he stole it from someone else but it's something it goes something like companies get uh, bought not sold and i think that's very very true like you can always you know so- someone may give you something to just try to get you on the cheap right like but for the most part like if it's going to be a substantial acquisition if it's going to be profitable for everyone involved um I think it's really hard to do those under distress. And so I would almost not bother taking those calls uh, from people that are, you know, interested in, in buying businesses that are uh, not on the up and up. Like I would say just focus on, okay, let's get product market fit. And then the rest will just kind of take care of itself, whether hmm. it's getting to profitability or getting venture or, or you know. Having... Which, yeah, it's the same same with raising uh, venture capital dollars, right? Yep. It's like if you, if you focus on growth, then... Mm-hmm. VCs will throw money at you. Yeah, I think I think one perspective is also to just reverse the tables, right? Like, would you invest in your business or would you want to buy your business? And if the answer is no, then it's really hard to look someone, at least for me, it was right. like, I, I try to be as genuine yeah. as possible. So like, I, I, it was really hard for me to look at someone and be like, hey, you know what, you need to give me $10 million and I'm going to build this thing when I felt like, oh man, there's so many open questions about like how I get there. Um, we're coming up on time. This has been a super fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. I guess one one last question uh, to leave you with. Um, we asked this to everyone. What one maybe secret that we haven't covered? Um, you'd wanna you'd wanna share with founders listening. One secret. So I touched on this a bit earlier, but I would say I'll maybe just requote the Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. He's, he's one of my favorites to kind of listen to. But he said like, no one's an expert in the future, and I found that to be true like I've, I've had i've been very fortunate to be able to work with people that i really respect over the years and all that stuff but we're all guessing so there is this feeling with founders sometimes of like imposter syndrome or whatever and i think the general message would be like no none of us really know <laughs> you know we're, we're all trying things and hoping they work and obviously experience helps with that like in your in your ability to figure out okay is this signal from noise but you know, at the end of the day, you 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 have to on some level just try and so have a bias for action and, and kind of go for it. Love it, Andy. This has been a really uh, fun conversation. Thanks so much for doing it, and uh, speak to you soon. Of course, thank you for having me.